Welcome to the Truth About College Admission podcast brought to you by Johns Hopkins Press. I am Brennan Barnard, the Director of College Counseling at Con Lab School, and I am joined by my co-author and friend, Rick Clark. How you doing, sir? Good to see you. Good to see you as well. This is a great conversation with Andy Borst, who's one of the true gems of our profession and really has set the example for pulling back the curtain at colleges and universities around admission. And I hope as we enter this conversation about majors and applying into specific majors at colleges and universities, you'll really take away this idea that it's important for students and parents to understand at each university what their expectations are for or the way you apply. And it's different at each school. I mean, we often say the most common answer in this field is it depends, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, at some schools, you can apply into a specific major and then easily switch to another major. Mm-hmm. At a lot of large public schools, as you'll hear Andy say, I mean, you can't easily switch from some majors into, say, computer science or something like that. So really important for you to understand that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, because of that, right, because of variance, because of the diversity between schools, that just makes it incumbent upon students to ask the questions that they have for the schools that they're looking at. And one of the things I really appreciate about Andy, for sure, and honestly, just excited about for the podcast as we continue it is hearing these people's voices and being reminded that they work at these places because they want to serve students. They are serving their particular institution, but they are approachable, real people who care a lot about what they do and the students that they serve. And after we end the conversation, Brennan, (laughs) he was talking about going to Orlando soon with his kids and going to Disney World. And I kind of hope that that's another thing that people just sort of naturally get as they listen to these episodes and particularly listen to Andy today is these are people who are here for you to answer your questions. And as a student and as a parent going through looking for schools and ultimately choosing schools, just know that that's why we are all working in these colleges and universities to answer these questions, to be available. We understand that it's different from one school to the next. You might be literally coming up to our institution in the morning and heading over to another college that day and three the very next day. So we get there's a lot of swirl there and we're hoping to differentiate ourselves, but we need you to ask what's on your mind. And so, you know, that's really one of the biggest things that I hope people take away from our conversation with our friend Andy today. That's great. Let's get into it. I am really looking forward to this conversation. Today, we have with us uh, another friend of ours and great colleague, Andy Borst from University of Illinois. Andy, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, guys. I really appreciate the invite to come and join you on your first season of the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, we've known each other for a while and man, you're doing such great work at Illinois. And I guess really, we wanted to give you a second to just talk about that. What's happening at Illinois right now? What are you working on and what's on your mind in general? So within the admissions space, we're working on a couple of different things especially within the context of this podcast about what information is helpful for students and families to know about the admissions search and try to dispel some of the myths, try to be more transparent with our process. We're trying to have conversations about just sharing what the admit rates are or what the middle 50th percentile is only a sliver of how admissions actually works. So I've been really impressed with the conversations that our teams are having to give a little bit more information of what's helpful with course selection or how important is calculus or language other than English to try and give a little bit more clarity of the process without just adding more noise. Hmm. 
Yeah, you've been leading on that. Yeah, you sure have. You've been great. And I know counselors and students and parents have been super grateful for that. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because you shed such great light on things. And you were recently quoted pretty extensively in the Inside Higher Ed article, and we'll put it in the show notes. But it was about admission by major to colleges. And the question of, is this system of some colleges, especially large publics, admitting by major, is that better for students. And and so we wanted to really dig into this with you and ask about how can you help people understand why this is such a big issue for families? And they often wonder, does this major I apply to matter? And how will that be used in college admission? Right. So this starts from a presentation that we did at our national conference at NACAC talking about direct entry programs. So it's one thing for students to be admitted to the university, but it's another for them to be admitted to the specific program that they're looking for. And it's somewhat of a perspective of how the sausage is made, of how you put together a large cohort of students. And it looks very different. So it's not a model that will work at all institutions, but it is helpful when you're enrolling a class of 7,000. 8,000, 9,000. Some of our Big Ten colleagues have gone up closer to 10,000 students. And we are evaluating students. We're admitting students based off of major as well as to the general university. And we do that so that we can align what program capacity may be for a program versus what maybe student demand is. So computer science really stands out as an exception to what our typical profile would look like. So one of the things I enjoy about working at the University of Illinois is that we have one program that has an admit rate below 10%. And then we have several other programs that are looking for something very differently, that are looking for students that are in the range that are going to be successful on our campus. And so we're looking for different types of backgrounds and different types of interests, depending on what program that, that might be. In the article, we were quoted as talking about matching student demand with program capacity. And the question started with, why does it take so long to make admissions decisions? And in <laughs> contrast to some other flagship institutions that are able to make decisions, sometimes in a 24-hour window, mm. at our institution doing holistic review, it takes us four months to get through the application volume. And it started with faculty saying, why does it take so long? Mm. So we did some analysis to see, well, what would it look like if we just used a formula score and admitted to the university? And what would that hypothetical class look like in contrast to the class that we brought in? And some of the differences that popped out would be we would have a lot of computer science students who would be really excited to get into this selective program who wouldn't be able to get the classes that they needed to graduate in a timely manner. Mm. And then some of our lower enrolled programs would be struggling to hit their capacity and they would be looking around for students who may have said they wanted this interest in computer science, but we want to teach them about agronomy and crop sciences and other factors that are important to our state and important to our society. That raises the other question of students ask this a lot, right? So if some programs at University of Illinois are have a lot higher admit rate, should I apply to one of those programs and then try to transfer into computer science? Right. So we did see that happening and we actually have closed computer science for our campus. And it's the only program out of 150 that we closed because students would get to our campus with the intent to transfer in And that has become just as competitive. So some institutions do allow movement within majors, but others, particularly large public institutions, have become more selective for on-campus transfers into business, into engineering, into computer science. And students were taking classes, getting Bs, and then retaking classes to try and get As. And so we just had to say, look, this pipeline is closed. You can only enter as a new freshman or as an off-campus transfer. But once you step foot on campus, that's the program that you need to stay in. That enters into the problem, the common pattern of they're 17 and 18 years old. 
students mm. who don't know what they want to do with their careers, and that's okay. And we do see, on average, in many institutions, students move in between majors. But for our campus, where students who are entering into a specific program, for the most part, they stay within that college. So they may move from computer science into electrical engineering or into computer engineering, but they're not necessarily moving from computer science into dance or kinesiology. Mm-hmm. So 83% of our students that are entering into a specific program are staying within those college. There's still 11% that are moving to a different college. So that does happen. And then the other 7% that we're not retaining from one year to the next. So movement does happen. But I would say that we may be the exception rather than the norm in that case. Wait, so you're saying there are not a lot of computer science majors who are aspiring dancers? There may be, but that might be their activities in addition to computer science as opposed to their passion of this is what they want to do with their major. I'm with you. (laughs) Well, I mean, what you're describing is this idea that across all these colleges and universities, people are making decisions about how they set up their process, maybe when they have their deadlines what they even ask for on applications differently. Mm -hmm. And on the student side or even on a parent side, I think that can be sometimes frustrating or maddening because they are doing this for the first time, maybe for the only time. Whereas you and I are every year looking at exactly what you're talking about, doing deep dives into the data and how do we tweak things and what are we trying to accomplish? And, you know, something that Brennan and I have talked a lot about is trying to zoom people out a little bit and say some of the beauty of the diversity of campuses and cultures around the country necessitates the fact that we are going to operate differently. And that's not a bad thing. It just means you kind of have to be proactive about asking the questions to the schools you're interested in. The truth is you don't have to worry about all 4,000 of us, right? Right. Just the 7 or 10 or 12 or however many schools you might be considering. I guess that's what I wanted to ask you about is like, what tips do you have for families on? How do they know what schools are putting priority? How do they know to ask these questions of those schools? Where do they go? Where would you point them? And just, yeah, what's some insight having done this for a good while at a couple different places that you would want people to hear from you? So I typically describe this as the Kung Fu Panda spoiler. And for (laughs) those who aren't familiar with Kung Fu Panda, there are multiple characters who are very talented individuals who are striving to find this one piece of knowledge that's going to make them special Mm -hmm. and that that's what's going to set them apart. And at the end, the spoiler is that the main character gets the dragon scroll, gets to read that one really important piece of information only to find there is no special ingredient. And so when I'm talking to parents and students about applying to our university or applying to college in general, a lot of the questions are geared around, just tell me the one thing. What is the one thing that I need to do that's going to make me competitive for this program? And it's somewhat frustrating for them to hear there is no special ingredient that's going to get you to align with this program. There are lots of different things that you can do. We're not looking for any one particular thing. It's part of holistic review. So the easiest thing to do is to ask the college, what are you looking for? What are you trying to build? Because that will look very different from institution to institution. And as I've seen both of you talk about, and I've seen both of you write about, is that college admissions processes are set up to achieve institutional missions. They are not set up to be fair. Mm, We're not necessarily looking for the most qualified students 
who are the most likely to be successful on our campus. Conversations are shifting. So that's our current reality, but also the question of where is our process moving? And a question that came up as University of California schools were discussing how should they go about their admissions process in the discussion of test optional versus test free. There was a trustee that asked the question, a regent that asked the question, should we be looking for students that are most likely to be successful or should we be looking for students who are the most likely to see their situation improve by attending our campuses. And okay. so I think more and more campuses are having conversations of who's most likely to benefit mm. from attending our institution. Because if we're just looking at who's most likely to be successful, that leads to different outcomes of what our class might look like versus are we just letting our process segment out society based off of who's had the privilege to be able to take differential equations in high school. Mm, yeah, for sure. And first of all, I mean, we should name this episode Kung Fu Panda Spoiler. Um, <laughs> I love that. Anybody that's holding out to find what happens in Kung Fu Panda, I want to let them know ahead of time that this is <laughs> going to be the conversation that I'm going to tell them what happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, this is something we've talked about before, but like, I think part of the vernacular is also part of the problem because this idea, like you said, of it's a recipe, it's a formula, or in some ways, students feel like it's a tightrope because they think that they have to do X plus Y to get Z. Mm -hmm. And when we keep saying process, 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 like it does feel a little rigid and it makes them think because I mean, look, you go to Google Images for process and you get guys in labs with colored, you know, liquids trying to like solve something. You get a lot of formula type stuff. And, you know, I think what's important for people to know is that colleges are different. Colleges are diverse. Colleges have goals. And so it's not a formula at the end of the day. And I think that that is at minimum what that helps students to realize is my job is not to try to fit myself into a certain place, right? It's to look for places that I'm going to be able to thrive in, I'm going to be able to succeed in, et cetera, which we're talking to some other people about this season as well. Well, and to that point, I think one of the things you say in the article is that at University of Illinois, you have 183 different admission standards. Mm -hmm. And so back to that issue of calculus or no calculus or other, other specific decisions that students will make in terms of the courses they take in high school, it's not a one size fits all. You can't just say, well, this is what you need to do to get into UIUC. Right. It's really nuanced. I think calculus is a great example of addressing the fallacy. So students or even counselors will say you need to take calculus in high school in order to be competitive for the most selective institutions mm -hmm. because that's what they're seeing, who's admitted and who's not. And as institutions have had to pivot in moving away from test scores, I think that there has become a dependency on relying on calculus. But this goes back to the point of there is no one thing. Yes, calculus does help students to be successful in a STEM curriculum, but you can go into a lot of other curriculums on our campuses without calculus because right. you won't have to take calculus. So I see institutions starting to challenge their own processes to look at, are we defaulting to an individual metric that we can push back on and see if we can de-emphasize it and address the fallacy that, no, this isn't a requirement for admissions in our process. I did want to just like real quickly go back to one thing that you said as it relates to data, sharing data and understanding data, particularly middle 50% ranges and some of these things that students kind of latch on to and see or really that in large part, we're trying to be helpful by putting out there. What would you say to students and parents as they're kind of looking at these numbers? How do you digest those? What sense can you make of those? And like, how might that help a student figure out either where they're going to apply or 
where they should consider to visit any point along the path? I think that that is a very tough to answer in the context of the middle 50th percentile. Because mm-hmm. we just had a conversation this morning and we're not too far into the day about removing our middle 50th percentile. Okay. Because we're one year away from having three cohorts where we're missing 40% of the data. So 40% mm. of our students are electing not to send scores. So if I'm sharing a middle 50th percentile, it is a skewed representation of who we're actually admitting. And that will happen across institutions mm. as many schools have gone test optional. So if you're looking at the middle 50th percentile, it's only a, a normal curve across a skewed section of your population because only sure. students with high scores are electing to send test scores. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a great answer for you <laughs> in, in what students and parents should do with that information, Mm -hmm. I think colleges and universities will need to adjust how they're communicating and the type of information beyond just here's some data, consume it, because it's not really sharing the narrative of who's going to be competitive for admission to that institution, knowing that you have 25% or even potentially 50% of your pool that you're wanting to admit that aren't represented in that data. Yeah, great point. And also really helpful right now, I think, as admission people are out on the road talking and what you said about challenging them to be as transparent as they possibly can. I mean, Brendan, just a quick question for you. What do you talk to your students about when you're looking at those kind of numbers? And how has that message maybe changed a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think we are asking them to really dig into the detail at each school and not just make general assumptions and to really understand the details behind the numbers and like ask questions of people like you and Andy and to understand what kind of nuance there is and to understand the number of submitters and non-submitters and acceptance rate by submitters and yeah. all the granular detail rather than just Google it and see one number and make an assumption. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, hey, particularly true, not just what you brought up, Andy, with limited number of students in some of these data sets, but then also, especially for public schools, and this is where we can all do a better job, but like, Okay, what does that look like for an in-state student? What does this look like for a student from outside the country or from a different state? And so to your point, Brennan, incumbent upon students to ask the questions, but it's got to be a two-way street at colleges. Right. We have to do as thorough and comprehensive and transparent of a job as possible, like presenting our data. So um, I think that's all really helpful. Well, I would just say to parents and to students, any chance you get to tune into a program at University of Illinois and listen to Andy speak and his colleagues speak about the transparent nature of college admission, take advantage of it because you're doing great stuff, Andy. Thanks. And I know your audience isn't just students and parents. So I want to put one more plug out there for the college admission staff that are listening to this. Come out, come out wherever you are and start sharing your data so that students and parents can understand your process better. Yeah, for sure. Well said. Throwing down the gauntlet. Hey, Andy, thanks again. No, I appreciate the invite. This is always fun to geek out on admissions topics. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Andy. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. And again, a huge shout out to our season one sponsor, Johns Hopkins Press. The press provides global access and delivers impact through publishing and distributing innovative ideas and scholarship. Johns Hopkins Press connects people to the most trusted knowledge from global researchers, scholars, and educators. To learn more about the work and publications, go to press.jhu.edu. We really appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great week and we'll be back soon with another episode.